Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. He's a career law enforcement officer with more than 22 years on the job. He's currently sheriff of Kane County, Illinois. And he's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today Show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from Illinois, Sheriff Ron Hain, Sheriff of Kane County, Illinois. Sheriff Hain, thanks so much for joining us on Law Enforcement Today's show. Absolutely my pleasure, John. It is good to have you here. And by the way, geographically, Kane County is, I believe, about 60 miles due west of Chicago. Yeah, actually, we're a little bit closer than that. We say we're about uh, 35 miles straight west of downtown. Uh, we are the, the fifth largest county in uh, the state of Illinois, and we have the second largest city in uh, the state of Illinois being Aurora, uh, located in Kane County. So pretty uh, large and diverse demographics in our population, as you can imagine. Now, typically, when we think of sheriff's departments and counties, uh, sheriff's departments, a lot of us will think of very rural areas. Your community is basically a bedroom community for Chicago, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And, and it's got uh, a great infrastructure, highway infrastructure feeder system in and out of the city, uh, two main arterial interstates that that run uh, to and from downtown right through Kane County. And, uh, you know, we experience a lot of the same uh, drug addiction, um, drug trafficking, uh, gang crime, violent crimes as the city does. Now, there was a time away from big cities, and I have to say I'm guilty of this as, as anybody. Uh, working in Baltimore for so many years, I thought the county guys had it easy, uh, especially the further they got away from the city. It was more rural. They didn't have the, the crime that we did. I didn't realize two things. Number one, they had violent crime, just not as much of it, and there was a lot less of them, so they had to deal with every aspect of it. You're, you're absolutely right, John. You can be uh, in the middle of a gang fight, uh, in, a, in a more urban section of the county, and 10 minutes later, you're helping push cows off the road out, out in the far western end as uh, you move away from, from the 
downtown area. So you never know what you're going to get into as a sheriff's deputy, and you better be well-equipped to handle it because, like you said, you're not going to have any backup nearby. Yeah, you could be a long ways away from help. If you're further west in the more rural areas, backup could be, what, 10, 15 miles away? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we see response times, emergency response times of 10 to 20 minutes. And that was one of the things that, that I didn't realize when I was still in the job in the Baltimore Police Department, how much my mother worried until I retired. And then she talked to me about it. And I said, you understand is that if we got into a bad situation, backup was, and it seemed like an eternity, a minute. We were so close to each other because it was so densely populated and so many police at the time. If I needed serious help, they were there very, very quickly. So for a, a sheriff's deputy to be out, let's say in a car stop, uh, in the the middle of a more rural area and things go south and they go very, very bad, help could be a very long ways away. Mm-hmm. You got that right. It's often said that uh, you need to be either a, a smooth talker or a butt kicker to do this job. Or and, both. Uh, doesn't help to be both, yeah. Yeah, it's probably, sure. it's probably good uh, <laughs> be able to have a, a, a... And you know what? That's the basics of policing. I remember being a young rookie and wasn't sure. I had this fear in the back of my mind. If I, if I had what it took to, to talk people down from bad situations and if it turned physical, did I have the ability to stand up and, and go toe-to-toe if I needed to? And it turns out I did. But that fear was always lingering that that was a reality. And... and is it a reality today, even with all the equipment, still a possible possibility for these guys and gals? Well, certainly, if you're out there by yourself and you get uh, overwhelmed, you now have even more weapons and equipment on or about you that you can be disarmed with and, and used against you. So, especially if you're one-on-one, like uh, like a sheriff's deputy could be more more frequently than uh, than a city officer. Well, one of the things you just brought up a very good point. Back in the day, and I'm a little older than you. Uh, you've been doing this for what, 22 plus years? That's correct. I was a rookie in 1980, and uh, we had slapjacks and come alongs and all kinds of other things. And I wound up after a couple of years on the job of saying, I'm not carrying that stuff because I got into brawls and it was another thing I had to defend against because they would try to grab for them and use them against you. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I was only four years old at the time, so I'm not aware of that <laughs> equipment that you, you, you had back then, John. But uh, times have changed, and now most of the stuff that my deputies wear are you know, projectiles from their taser to, of course, the firearms and uh, expandable batons. So um, you're dealing with uh, some high-tech weaponry that can be used against you too easily. Yeah, and uh, well, that's a, that's a conversation for later on that we might get into. Before we do get into some of this, I, I was made aware of you and your agency and i'm gonna say this right now for people listening i am like a dinosaur type police i've not always seen eye to eye with administration when it comes to law enforcement and one of the areas that i've been particularly taking a lot of law enforcement agencies task uh, in the last couple years is their inaction and inability to take care of their rank and file Uh, and i was introduced to sheriff ron hayne for this simple reason and i'll let him clarify this is one of the few agencies I've come across in the United States that is actively finding and proposing ways and setting up programs for treatment of law enforcement officers when it comes to things like post-traumatic stress issues, anxiety issues, potential substance abuse issues that, that roll along with those things. And I got to give you a round of applause because I, I wish a whole lot more people were doing what you're doing. 
Well, yeah, I'm a guy who came from the rank and file. I'm a guy who, you know, had that uh, anxiety from a career long of uh, physical confrontations, violent confrontations with offenders. And, uh, you know, I understand what that anxiety feels like. And, you know, there's always those sound bites out there that you hear police administration using um, from PTSD to, um, you know, we're, we're aware of our officers' mental health. And, of course, it's a priority. But what really does that mean? So when I took office, it was incredibly important for me to actually make sure the rubber hits the road. And again, we're not looking for somebody with PTSD or this deputy has a substance abuse issue or that corrections officer uh, is having some mental health breakdown. No, we're looking for members in crisis at the very baseline, whatever that crisis may be. Then we're selecting a peer to, to approach them and have a conversation with them about it and be very gentle in their delivery. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's one of the things I've been advocating for so long is that back in the day, if an officer said they needed help or even got in that radio and their voice sounded differently, like they were stressed and they were worried or fearful, if they didn't say, send me back up, we'd start rolling and we would go. It didn't matter what it was. So to have men and women start talking to each other and asking those questions, gently, of course, but being prepared to, to start the conversation is something we've needed for a very long time. Yeah, you, you, have, to, you have to identify members in crisis. And I, I tried to break down the stigma when I just took office uh, only eight months ago. So I'm, I'm a rookie sheriff, uh, and I did uh, staff presentations uh, within the first two weeks. And part of my one-hour-long staff presentation to everybody was, hey, folks, I see a psychologist. I see somebody. I talk to somebody. Once a month, you know, it just helps me blow off the steam, but don't be afraid to go seek help. Go talk to somebody if you need to. And we just had a recent incident uh, within the last month uh, where one of our deputies had a a very violent encounter. And uh, you could tell, again, identifying a member in crisis, that he uh, was, was suffering from some immediate emotional impact from the experience. And, of course, we were there for him through every step. And he he mentioned to me just a couple of days after the incident, he goes, well, you know what, Sheriff, I'm going to go talk to somebody. And the reason why I'm going to do it is because you said nobody should ever be afraid to. And that's such great advice. I have a nephew who's uh, joining a police department in Virginia uh, in the next uh, few weeks. He's going to the academy. My daughter, one of my daughters uh, took the test for Buffalo Police Department in New York State. And one of the things I told them is what something was told to me by one of our guests is that you have a general doctor, a general physician. You have a physical once a year. You have a dentist. You go see the dentist once a year. And if you're working in law enforcement, you should have in your pocket you should have the card of someone who is intimately familiar with trauma and regards to law enforcement and first responders as a, as a therapist and make appointments periodically, just even if you're not in crisis, just to be proactive and to prevent this bad boy from getting out of hand. We're talking with Sheriff Ron Hain, Sheriff of Kane County, Illinois. This is Law Enforcement Today. Sheriff, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. 
The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today's show is brought to you in part by Operational Police Detective Services, the top firm in Maryland for security, armed police, canine services, and armed helicopter escort. They also offer complete, thorough, and in-depth protection and security surveys. OPPS personnel are highly trained local, state, and federal off-duty police officers. Based out of Baltimore, Maryland, they can accommodate assignments throughout the East Coast. For more information, call 443-790-2511 or visit OPPSProtection.com. That's OPPSProtection.com. Back to our conversation with Sheriff Ron Hain, Sheriff of Kane County, Illinois. Sheriff, hey, you just might be the highest ranking active law enforcement officer I've ever had on the show. So it's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, my pleasure to be on the show, John. And most and most law enforcement people that come on a show, they're retired because they have the ability to talk a little bit more freely. And I understand that this is not the most common thing for someone in law enforcement to do. Uh, so it, it is really, really greatly appreciated. Uh, before we went to break, we talked about your career expanded 22 years, uh, 22 plus years. You've been sheriff now for uh, about eight months. And I like one of the things you said that when you took over as sheriff, you started telling the men and women, the boots on the ground, that do patrol work and all seal the bad stuff, that you see someone and that there should be no shame, that you should all be proactive and do these sort of things. This is the type of attitude that should start from the head and work its way down. And, and I think that's phenomenal. Thank you. And you made a great point before the break is that, and not to put uh, every agency on blast, but we all use some sort of psychologist to do our hiring process in law enforcement. Fortunately, at Kane County, we have an entire psychology division and uh, we use them as our checkpoint uh, for our employees. So uh, they know who they can check in with over at County Psych. And I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of get into uh, the finer points of the system we've implemented at our office for, uh, for caring for those in crisis. But it always ends with that check-in with our county psychologists when they come back to work. Uh, and, and that helps them uh, slide back in to uh, regular duty and also know who their contact point is or, or reinforces that, and of course shows that this is a collaborative effort, not just by their sheriff, but the county as a whole as an employer. I'm going to show my age. Granted, you were, you said, like four years old when I was a rookie police. I was, just saw a, a video of an officer, I believe in South Carolina, got into a, a brutal shooting on a car stop in a rural area, 
and he was shot in his soft body armor and stopped the projectile. Uh, and while his body cam was rolling, uh, he called his wife to tell her that he'd been shot, but that he was okay. That it, and it brought me back to a distinct memory of being in a horrible shootout. This is before we had cell phones and body cameras, but we had a, like a mobile command unit. And uh, there was county officers there, city officers there. Every news agency was there. Um, and without going into details, it was a, a long, drawn-out, protracted gunfight between me and this other guy that was wanted for murder and robbery. And in a mobile command unit, I, I said, please let me call my wife. They had like the, the car phone in the, the thing. They let me, and I let her know that I'd just been in a bad shooting because they'd be on the news. You'd probably see me there, uh, even though it wouldn't be identified. And I didn't want her to be worried and concerned. And someone, going back to this video in... South Carolina said, can you imagine being in that law enforcement officer's shoes having to call your wife and tell her that you went through this or tell him that you went through this, your spouse? And I went, yeah, because that's what we had to do. And you, yeah. what the response back in the day was, you okay? I had vomited a couple times. It was, I was not okay. Their way of handling it, and it worked until it didn't work anymore, go to a parking lot with the guys, talk and have a few beers. And that's what we did. That was, right. that was our big critical incident stress debriefing. Certainly, and that follow-up peer support is essential. There's, it there's is. nothing wrong with going out with the guys after a critical incident to have a couple of beers and do the soft debrief, right? Right. But your agency has to carry the professional ball forward with with your critical incident care. It is the biggest component in, in my experience, not just as a sheriff but throughout my career, where that is the quickest drop ball. Uh, the guy looks okay. Uh, right. We we sent him over to the hospital right after the incident, and he got discharged, so he must be fine. And then five, ten years later, that's where we really start to see that person go into crisis mode, where they are not just having a couple of beers in the parking lot with the guys, but they're having a 24-pack of right. beers at night by themselves. Or, and they're or, getting complaints, the discourtesy, they're, they're snapping at people, and we owe it to our, to our communities that we... Per- the best possible first responders out there in the best possible conditions. So to take care of them is not putting the cart before the horse. It's actually, if you put, in my mind, if you put equal balance into taking care of your rank and file as you do the communities, members of the community, you've got the right balance. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, we always have to keep in the back of our minds that last year, almost like every year, more officers committed suicide than were killed in the line of duty. And uh, I can think at our own agency of uh, several retired uh, deputies who uh, who had taken their own lives because they worked through their entire career in the historic mindset of take the beating, toughen yourself up, and go back out because nobody's going to listen to you. And actually, your peers are probably going to make fun of you if, yeah. if they if if they sense that you're having a hard time processing. So. And and for a lot of them, uh, and myself included. Uh, I believe that being on the job and working with those people and showing up and having the camaraderie was a big part of the coping skills. And that when I was retired and forced to retire early due to injuries, all of a sudden, what worked, all that stuff's gone and you're by yourself and you're by yourself with the stinking thinking. Right. And I do have to credit our, uh, our retired deputy groups. Uh, they have regular uh, breakfasts that they attend every other week. And, and I've tried to go to them, John, and, and, and network with the guys. And they say, Sheriff or you know, Sarge at the time, uh, 
we don't allow active guys, and, and we really don't want administrators there. This is our time to, to kind of stick together and uh, make sure that we're here for each other. I thought that was a really interesting niche that they identified that and uh, wanted to, sure, they'll come to some of the office uh, promotional ceremonies or retirement gatherings, but they want that time for themselves to stay cohesive and still feel that camaraderie, to your point. Yeah, I, I, I get it totally. Uh, one of the things you did mention is uh, suicide is a big issue. Uh, and, and the agency right next to you, Chicago, uh, there is no better example in the United States of an agency in crisis when it comes to law enforcement suicide. They, I, I, I've lost track of how many they've had in the last year. Yeah, I have. It's incredibly sad. But, you know, that, that's one agency also that doesn't get the credit they deserve for how professional they have become. Um, just tried and true. They have a, a incredible support mechanisms um, amongst their own ranks. And uh, the way they go back out every single day, uh, get in firefights almost every single day, and uh, stay as one relatively completely cohesive unit uh, really is a testimony to uh, their superintendent all the way on down. And my hat's off to him because one of the things that happens and is the news media doesn't really accurately portray what our law enforcement officers in particular and agencies go through. And all the, the many balls they have to juggle when it comes to, when we say law enforcement, actually arresting people is just a small, small portion of the job. Preventing crime is big. Handling quality of life issues is a, is a major thing. Trying to quell family disputes, especially when you have loved ones that have severe alcoholism or drug addiction problems. Uh, these are things that our law enforcement officers deal with daily, and they're expected to be social workers, psychologists, therapists, strong men, strong women, boxers, and, and supposed to be able to Don't do Don't forget everything. medical doctors. Oh, that's the other one now. See, <laughs> you got to be that one sometimes. Yeah, we didn't have the Narcan, so that's that's a whole other thing to, to throw in there. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Sheriff Ron Hain, Sheriff of Kane County, Illinois. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. For the most professional, complete security and protection services that uses only the most highly trained off-duty police, contact Operational Police Protective Services. Every business, school, and location where groups of people gather can also benefit from a complete, thorough, and in-depth protection and security survey. Contact Operational Police Protective Services. They can accommodate assignments throughout the East Coast. For more information, call 443-790-2511 or visit OPPSProtection.com. That's OPPSProtection.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Back to our conversation with Sheriff Ron Haynes, Sheriff of Kane County, Illinois, on the Law Enforcement Today show. Uh, Sheriff Haynes, I remember being a rookie police, and uh, earlier said, I, you know, I didn't know if I had what it took, and then found out I did. I was pretty good at what I did. Uh, I really loved it, and uh, it was a real calling for me. And after a couple of years on a job, I decided I wanted to seek promotion. And I really thought that one of the ways I could best help the community is to try to achieve rank. 
unfortunately, I was hurt. My career has ended, multiple surgeries and steel plates at the rank of sergeant after about 11 years on the job. Uh, so I'm sitting there thinking, you went from being rank and file doing law enforcement to want to seek elected position as a sheriff. What prompted you to do that? Much like you thought, you know, you, you, you watch police administration throughout your career. Uh, you listen to uh, their thoughts about the direction of an agency or, or their directives about uh, what an agency should be doing at the time to address whatever trend it may be from crime to, uh, to employment and personnel issues. And you also compare that to the grumblings you hear from the guy next to you in a roll call about, you know, those guys don't care and they don't think this and they don't do that right. And if you're a problem solver, which I am, and it sounds like you are as well, you take a more active interest in trying to, to improve your environment. And one concern I have about conventional police leadership, and you see it time and time again, and I'm fortunate enough here in Kane County to have some very progressive police leadership from, uh, you know, Kristen Zeman, the uh, police chief of Aurora, who's second biggest city in the state here, to Anna Lally, uh, the police chief of Elgin, Illinois, the seventh or eighth biggest city in the state in Kane. And they're always driving, you know, really intelligent uh, and progressive programs forward. And not to discredit any other police chief in Kane, but you've seen it across the nation where I've been able to train police officers where you get into the, the role in police admin where you're just chasing the next guy's pension slot. So you see, you go to your staff and command school, and uh, they pump you full of leadership information. And then you're, you're supposed to move into that deputy chief slot. And then, of course, those deputy chiefs want that chief slot, and they, they want to fill those roles for a certain X number of years until they can turn over, hit their retirement age, and boom, they're out the door, and the cycle continues. And it's the same conventional thinking and leadership regurgitated, and, and we're, we get stuck in a cycle of history where we're not progressing with the trends. So it was really important for me uh, to come from the streets right before I got elected and to also stay in tune with the streets uh, as sheriff and go out and work it, respond to calls occasionally, uh, show up on critical incident scenes, of course, uh, network with my, with my personnel, both in, in the jail as our, our corrections officers and our, our patrol deputies. I have 240 badging gun carriers at my office, and, and I want to be in tune with their daily experiences. One of the aspects of, of law enforcement that I think is at least understood, and I'll be honest with you, I could not do it. I don't think I could. Other corrections officers, the ones that, that are uh, in the jail and are lockups all the time, my hat's off to those men and women because that is just literally, there's no break from it, and they've got to be on the ball constantly. You know, I worked in the police side, of course, like we, we mentioned, for the, uh, the, better, the better part of a 22-year career, or the entire 22-year career, of course. And then I become sheriff. And I, and I knew the jail because I would drop people off there all the time in custody. And I knew some of the folks that, that worked in the booking area. But that's about my extent of knowledge about what really went on in there. And I tell you what, it has become my favorite division uh, over the course of my first eight months here. Because of not all the uh, the new programming and the uh, the support mechanisms we're driving in for our inmate population to try and drive down crime on the street when they return to the community, but the complete cohesive nature of our corrections officers that they they realize they have to work as a team, they have to support each other, and I have not seen a group uh, work more fluidly 
and more cohesively than our corrections officers. And to your point, I think that's how they push through every day and, and push through a 15, 20-year career. Oh, well, my hat's off to them. You know, I, I routinely get corrections officers that contact me, the law enforcement show, and, and they'll say, in your opinion, are corrections officers, uh, or do you support corrections officers, or do you consider them to be first responders in law enforcement? like, yeah, I, I don't know when it became a conversation that they weren't. Uh, they never have not been in my eyes. And so the, to have this this lack of recognition that a lot of people seem to have for them, I've never understood it. Yeah, you know what? You have to recognize them as first responders and law enforcement officers because our jails in any community are the fusion points for all of that community's problems. They all come together right there. So you can drive around on an eight-hour shift as a cop, and you might have one arrest that you'll have to make. You'll might, you might see a violent encounter, what, once a month. You might have to get uh, your hands on somebody a couple times a week. But every day in that fusion center where everybody collects together that's creating those criminal issues out on the street, those corrections officers are the first responders. They are the law enforcement for the most dangerous location within the county. And, and you said earlier, you have your issues with gangs. Is that a big issue with your, your county jails? Oh, absolutely. Uh, our classification division uh, is a group of really uh, intelligent corrections officers who, who make sure that they do their best to separate them throughout the 10 different cell blocks at the uh, Kane County Jail. But that does not mitigate uh, inmate altercations. Uh, there, there's still some that uh, are are silent running gang members who, you know, decide to attack somebody else uh, in a rival gang because of a beef on the street 10, 15 years ago. And these are issues that you can't predict. So whether it's uh, prevalent gang activity or, or subtle gang activity, it's, it's still a, a daily concern. Now that's one of the areas I see a lot of people diminish the importance or the threat level with gangs and they'll say well that's an inner city problem or that's a chicago or new york or newark or baltimore problem and i live in aurora illinois i live in uh some other place where it's not an issue i suspect that's not the case anymore yeah, and that's an issue that not only is chicago seeing but we're seeing out here and you see it when you get into the jail is because we've focused so much on gang enforcement in the 90s and early 2000s that it's not just the Bloods and the Crips anymore, the Gangster Disciples and the Vice Lords. They have splintered off into so many different factions. It's become incredibly difficult to track and enforce them and understand their, their micro-organizations. So that is the gigantic issue in Chicago. And, of course, like I said, that bleeds out to us. And it even becomes a more splintered and, and micro-organization within a jail cell block where you may have uh, externally identifiable gang factions uh, that would be opposed to each other out on the street. Now, because they're staying in the same cell block for so long, they identify each other as an ally and, and splinter off even further to, to confuse organizations. But they still pose a threat to the, the regular moms and pops that walk around your county and other counties across the United States. Absolutely, and, and that's the entire point of uh, gang activity is, is forming alliances to, uh, to commit crime. It's a fascinating conversation, and I don't know that gangs have progressed so far beyond what they were when I was a police. 
the basics of policing, I've always say this, the basics of policing have not changed. We use different terminology nowadays. The term community policing was what we were called, what patrolmen did back in the day. Uh, what has changed dramatically is the technology that we have at our disposal for our law enforcement officers. Uh, tasers, body cameras, pepper spray. We used to jokingly say we were issued a nightstick, which we all replaced with something that had some weight to it, a 38 revolver, soft body armor only for the front, not the back, and mace that only worked on innocent bystanders and police. It didn't work on anybody else. It never worked on the bad guys, that's for certain. Yep, yep. But nowadays, there's so much more equipment, and I think that poses uh, some pluses and possibly some minuses for, for law enforcement agents, and we'll ask you about that when we return in just a few moments. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll return our conversation with Sheriff Ron Hain in just a few moments. <laughs> This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined on the phone by Sheriff Ron Haynes, Sheriff of Kane County, Illinois, approximately 35 miles west of Chicago. Uh, Sheriff Hain, we are talking before the commercial break about changes in technology. And one of the things I hear all the time, you know, we didn't have the cell phones or everybody had a video camera on them. Uh, we didn't have body cameras. And to some degree, I believe the body cameras, the footage would have absolved me immediately from 99.95% of the complaints that were lodged against me. And there were quite a few. Usually just courtesy and, uh, and it's always a standard procedure with drug dealers. The first thing you do is they make a complaint against you. But I also see potential for a negative side with that. Can you elaborate? Is there all con is all pro for you or is a negative also specific to the body cameras yeah or, or the camera recordings specific to uh camera recordings and body cameras uh to me it's all about police accountability and, and we can step back to 2014 in the the ferguson missouri uh, michael brown shooting and the reaction against against law enforcement after that event and, and, and there was a, a snowball effect um, immediately afterwards. It really disappointed me that uh, it was immediately identified as simply uh, black against white. Uh, and, and really when it was broken down and the, and the investigations were conducted, it was a police officer who had to use use of force. And unfortunately, the racial demographics were there. But I don't believe at the core of it, knowing law enforcement today, that uh, that, that was the driving cause of the incident. But it did increase police accountability, and, and I'm a fan of that. And when I say I'm a fan of that, it made police officers more aware. And, of course, every officer should be aware, and the cameras should make them aware. But it made them the most aware when they realized, wait a second, I could end up on the 10 o'clock news. If I don't train constantly, if I don't seek out training, and if I'm not accountable every time I put on the uniform. And uh, to me, cameras and body cameras uh, – present nothing but a positive. And, and most of the, the video footage I've seen have been released by departments, especially when there's any hint of controversy, and generally involving use of force uh, and deadly force, the, the video on the body camera exonerates the officer 99% of the time, at least. And it, it counters what's being said out there. 
Now, people don't always seem to believe that, but that reinforces what we've all known for a very long time. It does. And to me, that that lends back to, okay, they're exonerated, but the public has a misunderstanding of, you know, number one, police power, and then they have an antagonistic relationship with law enforcement. And to uh, my point again about police accountability, I think that we may have had a hand in building that antagonistic relationship Without a doubt. in my career. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I went through the police academy, I was part of that Bill Clinton Cops grant, remember that, where they're hiring us by the dozens uh-huh. uh, at, at each agency. And they told us, all right, you're going to go out and get those bad guys. Okay, cool. Where are they at? Well, they're in the high-crime neighborhoods. So we went out to the high-crime neighborhoods, and we're locking people up for drugs and guns, you know, the quote-unquote bad guys. And I had an epiphany shortly thereafter that, well, first of all, these high-crime neighborhoods are also low-income neighborhoods, and the national statistics show that the majority of people who live in low-income neighborhoods are minorities, and we're calling them bad guys. So for decades, we've been you know, arresting uh, dad in front of his house, in front of his kids, and that turns into uh, the, uh, the next generation running from the police and not wanting to interact with them whatsoever. And that comes to, you know, today of America, where you actually have police getting targeted by, by the third generation who are just tired of being treated that way. So it, law enforcement has to take some ownership in, in a multifaceted front, um, accountability, transparency with those cameras, and reshaping their approach with their community, not just through a correctional environment, but also through the uh, the public and, and community policing environment. And the community policing is, is a basis where it's all out. People ask me, when did things change? And I remember being a little boy and seeing video of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and the Civil Rights March, and you had police attacking people with canine dogs. And that's the kind of thing that even into the 80s and 90s, I felt that we were trying to rid ourselves of that image by being as professional as possible. And and we still were facing the, the demons of the past of past people in different parts of the United States. And th- this is one of the bones of contention I've always had for a long time. When you had a situation like in Los Angeles, Rodney King, people would blame police in Baltimore. And look, that's Los Angeles, and we're not the same guys. It's a different state, different rules, different departmental procedures, but we're all perceived the same way. Uh, you're the police. Uh, it didn't matter whether you're Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, uh, Kane County, Sheriff's Department, didn't matter. You're all lumped in the same category. And I think that's been unfair. Yep, we are the ghost-faced, blue uniform, battering arm of the government. And they don't personalize us. They just uh, immediately identify us as uh, the root cause of the issue. Before we go into uh, closing on your program, what you're doing, one of the questions I have very quickly for you about the body camera videos is one of the things that people have asked me about Yes, it clears a lot of police from potential wrongdoing or accusations of wrongdoing. Uh, it also holds people to a higher level of accountability and professionalism. But I also believe it takes away the ability to have discretion when it comes to enforcement. And, and a perfect example was uh, you didn't want to lock some up, had a little bit of marijuana back in the day, even as illegal. You want to give them a break. So a lot of times we would do... Uh, statute of limitations have run out on this, so I'll say it. You, you would throw it in the gutter and give them a talking to and, and send them on their way, send them home, especially kids. Now you do that on video camera, you're breaking the law. And it, it, does it hamper or take away from some of that discretion? 
So, of course, every officer should follow their, their departmental policies. So I'm going to reflect on my agency specifically. And uh, my deputies know that I fully support their discretion and, and them to make a decision on their own behalf. Of course, we talked about how spread apart they are. And quite oftentimes, they won't even see their supervisor on their shift. But right. they're still on camera. So as long as my guys follow their and girls follow their policy, and if they are going to let somebody go and uh, not charge them with a, a small amount of marijuana charge, please just go ahead and package up that evidence and, and do a very short report. No need to tell us why you didn't charge them, just that you took it off the street and it's being disposed of, disposed of through evidence. That's phenomenal to hear that as well, because you don't get that backing from a lot of politicians and uh, and command staff, so that that's phenomenal. I want to get back to what we originally talked about before we close, one of the things that you're really, really good at in your agency is being proactive when it comes to dealing with uh, mental health issues for your law enforcement officers. Would you give us a brief overview of that? Certainly. So this is all stemming off a career of, uh, you know, violent encounters and a little bit of PTSD that I can detect within myself and realizing the need for a structured program within our office. So it's only been uh, eight months in office now, but we sent uh, two of our deputies so far to what we call, you know, the highest tier of treatment. Uh, which is Transformations Treatment Center in Florida, one for um, substance abuse and the other one for PTSD. And uh, we've built in a system within our own agency where, of course, we're, we're developing our peer support team uh, through this very short amount of time. We're, we're identifying people in crisis. Then we have a, uh, a local program called a Winning Edge that comes in and does basically brain training, one-on-one sessions, it is completely voluntary for our staff, and it's, it's the same type of uh, program that professional athletes use and uh, high school and college athletes use to reduce anxiety and increase performance levels. So it's about an hour and 15-minute segment with uh, this company, again, one-on-one with the therapist, and we'll have uh, corrections officers and deputies walk out and just applaud the experience they had and how much they felt the weight off their shoulders and how this is going to help them on a daily basis. You know, let's say you have one of those calls, John, where you were in that, that just brutal shootout or, or, or fight on the street, and you get to go uh, be on your own for a minute and, and de-escalate and internalize, this gives you those tools to come down off that shelf in a healthy way and, and think and process through that and breathe through that. And uh, for our staff to have this available to them uh, three to four times a month uh, is, is huge for me as, as a police administrator to be able to say, look, we're making it available to you. We're breaking down the stigma. And even if this day-to-day support does not help, we have this highest tier support group through transformations. And then when you come back from any of these issues, you pass through our very supportive county psychological department and you get eased back into duty. So it's not punitive, folks. No one's going to judge you. Let's do this right. That's a great program. And I'm, I'm going to volunteer you real quick. If, if other administrators are listening, they want to get information, contact Sheriff Ron Hain, King County Sheriff's Department, correct? Yes, please. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Sheriff Hain, very much appreciated. Thank you, John. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Hey.